Hi, I'm Nitsan. And I'm Adam. And this is Stories from the East and West. Today's episode is about a landmark 1960s film, little known outside of film festivals and its native Czech Republic, and the life of its pioneering director. The film is called Daisies, and the director is Vera Hitilova. In the 1960s, Hitilova quickly established herself as one of the leading cinematic voices of the Czechoslovak New Wave that emerged out of the FAMU film school alongside Miloš Forman and Jan Niemitz. Its sole female voice, she was known for her tough persona and provocative approach to filmmaking. The decade's end brought the 1968 Soviet invasion, a violent attempt to maintain communist control in Czechoslovakia. It put an end to both the Prague Spring and the Czechoslovak New Wave artistic movement. Her colleagues Forman and Niemetz emigrated to the West, but Hitilova refused to do the same despite the huge professional and personal cost. Eventually, she did find a way back to doing what was most important to her, making films on her own terms. We sent our producer Piotr to Prague to bring you her story. Coming up on Stories from the East and West. Zlín, Praha, Varsava, Madrid, London, Paris, New York, Casablanca. Where you see a kind of totality of the human presence. Absolutely, absolutely, that is exactly This could end up being a many-hour long interview about the history of this country. There was such a release of culture in the 1960s, and no one knew what was going to happen. My parents didn't know either. This is Teresa Kucherova, visual artist and set designer. Piotr met with her at the modernist villa in Prague's leafy Troja district built by her parents, Vera Hitilova, and cinematographer Jaroslav Kuchero. This house was built with the money they won at film festivals back then. When you're a child, you naturally live in the way that your family lives. So you don't find it abnormal that your parents are filmmakers. Their work is just part of their lives. Vera Hitilova was born in Ostrava, in the Moravian region of Czechoslovakia in 1929. After high school, she began studying to become an architect, but she quit after a year to move to the capital. And she started to work as a laboratory assistant. She didn't have much money, so she started to earn some extra money as a model. A model scout approached her on the street. Then, by chance, Hitilova landed a small role in the period film The Emperor's Baker as a lady of the court. Um, and it's funny that this film, uh, always on Christmas time or on some celebration, is uh, we can see it on TV, so we are watching her. Uh, as she always said, that was when she realized that this is what she wanted to do. But she didn't know how to get into this business. She managed to get a job as a clapper at the state-run Barandov Studios, the place where most films in Czechoslovakia were produced. Over time, she found that this way it would take an awfully long time before she could make her own movies. So she mustered up the courage to try to enroll at film school. 
Ale myslím si, že někdo to tam musel trošku. She had a friend who encouraged her. He told her, go to film school, don't be afraid of it, try it. Potom, když se teda dostala na FAMU, then when she got to FAMU at the film directing department, she told us that she felt somewhat old. She was 27 and the other students were around 20. Plus, she was the only girl among many boys. She was accepted because Otakar Vavra, um, the director, sought a um, more mature student. That was Dr. Jindriška Blachova from the Film Studies Department at Charles University in Prague. She established herself in her first phase, creating these sociological films, it's gonna pseudo-documentaries. You have already ideas or topics that start to emerge, the, the meaning of life or the meaningless of life. The directors of the Czechoslovak New Wave were inspired by French cinema verite and independent American directors like John Cassavetes. They wanted to more intimately capture everyday life under the socialist system, rebelling against the official socialist realism that had dominated for decades. I would say that her breakthrough film was her short graduation film, The Ceiling, from 1962. This is Professor Jan Bernard. He was the Dean of FAMU, officially the Film and TV School of the Academy of Performing Arts in Prague, quite the mouthful, when Hitlova taught there decades later in the 1990s. It was actually largely autobiographical, referencing her career as a model, and it very evocatively captured the atmosphere of nighttime Prague, of the bars and the clubs, and also the streets and squares. And it was actually quite unique in how she used subtitles as graphics. But it was Hitilova's 1966 film Daisies that would put her at the forefront of the Czechoslovak new wave. The film was both provocative and visually experimental, and completely different than anything that had come before it. Daisies are still considered one of the iconic films um, of modernist cinema of the 20th century. That was Dr. Michal Bregant, director of the National Film Archive and former dean of the film school. And when the film uh, screened you know, a few years ago, somewhere in um, the US, there were people in the audience dressed like daisies. It's something that has to be experienced on the big screen. Very briefly, the film tells the story of two young women named Marie One and Marie Two, who come to the conclusion that the world has gone bad and that therefore they should be bad too. They embark on a path of humorous destruction through this surrealist art pop collage reality envisioned by Hitilova and her collaborators, art director Esther Krumbachova and Hitilova's husband at the time, cinematographer Yaroslav Kutsera. They wanted to portray both personal and social destruction, so the characters not only destroy their clothes, but also the actual image of the film. Asi jsem se do tebe zamiloval. 
I do love the one when um, uh, the suitor calls her, calls the girls to the apartment from outside, and this kind of this buffoon and this kind of sweet voice tries to talk her into relationship, and they are obviously laughing at him. Then all of a sudden, their world disrupts into collages. Her heads um, leave their bodies, and everything is sort of meshed together in this collage. The sequence in, the, in this opulent uh, room with opulent uh, food prepared for a big dinner party and uh, they start tasting uh, bits and pieces of the food and um, suddenly when one of the protagonists uh, breaks a glass on the table, everything changes. and it immediately switches into a fight with cream cakes and uh, they start drastically destroying the food and destroy uh, everything, including the furniture. And at the end they, they make some sort of a fashion show uh, using the curtains from the windows on that uh, table full of broken food. is just fantastic as a as a piece of what cinema can do you know and it becomes timeless because it's um, experimental yet it wants to be beautiful and it wants to be smart and it's all of those things together and that's why it doesn't age because there is no proper narrative it's just this beautiful package of possibility the film was screened at the 1967 festival of new czechoslovak cinema in new york and hitilova was celebrated for her achievement but back home, the ruling Communist Party was definitely not celebrating, especially about the infamous banquet destruction scene. Obviously, the authorities were strongly provoked by, by, by such scene. That, that was kind of a uh, symbol for bourgeois decadent uh, art, which they hated uh, from the bottom of their hearts. There was a member of parliament who officially protested not only against uh, Daisies, but also against other films by Jan Niemetz, uh, Miloš Forman and others. Uh, claiming that those films are against the needs of working class people. Audiences had few opportunities to watch this movie because it was mostly forbidden. The film was only allowed to be played in special cinemas, in the movie clubs, but not in Prague. People had to travel to Brno and Pilsen, for instance, to watch it. The film could not go into normal distribution until after the political changes in the spring of 1968. In early 1968, it really did seem as if change was in the air in the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic. What is known as the Prague Spring was a wave of liberalisation in which the new president Alexander Dubček promised to introduce socialism with a human face. The ruling party's tight grip on culture and society was relaxed, and previously banned films could suddenly be shown openly. But, as you might have guessed, this really didn't go down well with the Soviet leadership in Moscow. And very soon, this human face was being trampled by thousands of Soviet boots. On the 20th of August 1968, Soviet tanks rolled into Czechoslovakia, crushing the democratic hopes of the Prague Spring. Teresa Kucherová still has vivid memories of the invasion. 
1968 I was four years old and I remember it as a child. My brother was born in July of that year, so he was a little baby when the Soviets came. We were told that the tanks are here and nobody knows what's going to happen. Mom said that people were afraid they would be taken and relocated somewhere in Russia. We went to our cottage with my grandparents and the adults were constantly listening to Radio Free Europe. And it's hard to imagine, but everything suddenly stopped and the so-called normalization came. People who used to work, who had had opportunities, they suddenly found themselves under the supervision of political apparatchiks. A whole generation of people came to a standstill. They had been in full creative flight and suddenly they had to have their films approved Screenplays approved by people whose only purpose was to serve the system. It wasn't just about film. It was about all culture, theatres and fine art. And they called it normalization. Uh, her films uh, disappeared from from uh, distribution circles or channels. She was uh, was not only her future career, but but her past career, which was uh, erased, uh, and the films were put in on, on on shelf and never never shown again. So after such uh, extremely successful career in her young age in in the second half of the sixties, suddenly there was there was a you know kind of an abyss uh, in which she found herself. This period for her, the 1970s, was full of constant struggles. No one told her in advance, yes, so now we are not going to make any films, not until 1977. There was a very long seven years for her when she was blacklisted and she wasn't even allowed allowed to enter the film studio in Prague. Uh, she was in a very difficult situation personally because the kids were small, she was uh, in the middle of construction of their house and also on the personal level, those were very hard times for her. But she stayed here, she, uh, she decided not to leave uh, Czechoslovakia because she felt her roots were here in in uh, in this culture and uh, she was she was very very stubborn she's the only one who who didn't do a compromise that was scriptwriter and filmmaker Jakub Feldsman who studied under Vera Hitilova at FAMO in the early 2010s other other filmmakers they had to make at least one film that is like for the party like complete uh, um, collaboration she did. This. She never did this. She's the only one. The others they emigrated or stopped working. Um, it must have hurt her, but it's at the same time. I think that the, the, her children and grandchildren and people around and students like us, uh, we are grateful for because we have. It's a. It's a. It's a role model. She's a moral figure, you know, for us. Um, instead of shooting something in '73 like Mansell did, she didn't shoot her next film in 1976. Then. Power changed within the film industry, and uh, she was basically allowed through the back door, through Kratky Film, short cinema, uh, short film a production unit, to make a movie. In 1976, Hitelova returned to filmmaking with The Apple Game, 
a comedy about a womanizing gynecologist whose girlfriends finally turn on him. You can see again a change. More conventional narratives, but the topics are more pronounced. You know, gender equality, chauvinism, meaning of life, morals, immorality of, uh, of uh, Czechoslovak society, corrupted society, corrupted system, laziness of thinking, destruction. In 1983, she once again collaborated with her friend Esther Krumbachova, with whom she had made daisies and fruit of paradise. Teresa Kucherova, who was 19 at the time, remembers the two women working together on the script for what would become the very late afternoon of a fawn, a comedy about a man who becomes a playboy in his old age. It was over the summer and they were working upstairs. You could hear volleys of laughter. They laughed awfully hard at it. And because I was there when they were writing the script, they came up with the idea that I should do the costumes. And my mom said, I know how I want this guy called Fawn to look. He's really old, and he will wear this kind of suit. Teresa would go on to have a successful career as a costume designer and visual artist. But at the time, she only had just started art college. Sometimes it happens that when you are young, you don't really know what you are getting yourself into. But you have a kind of audacity or desire to try it. So I went for it. Although Hitolova's films were definitely not appreciated by the majority of the ruling Communist Party, they were happy to take the foreign currency her films brought home from overseas. Much like in other Central and Eastern European countries in the Eastern Bloc, the economic situation in Czechoslovakia in the 1980s was becoming pretty dire. Starting with Poland in June 1989, the Soviet-backed regimes began to topple. What you're hearing is Václav Havel making a speech during the mass protests of the Velvet Revolution. The revolution finally brought an end to 41 years of single-party rule. A dissident playwright and national hero, Havel became the first president of the newly democratic Czechoslovakia, though the Czechs and Slovaks soon amicably split into two separate countries. But in the meantime, it seemed that the promise of the Prague Spring, some 20 years earlier, had finally been fulfilled. The revolution in 1989 was a huge turning point for all of us. Mom told us at the time, this is great, you have your whole lives ahead of you. And now, finally, it would be possible for everyone to work freely and film whatever they want. But, on the other hand, the 1990s were a bit wild in our country. There was the whole privatization process. It was a total economic transformation. Vera Hitilova, of course, wanted the state film production system to be maintained, because she felt that she could best realize her projects with state money. She didn't think she could get money from a privatized system for the kind of experimental films she made. 
She was super critical uh, during the time of uh, privatization of uh, Barando Film Studios in Prague and privatization of the whole uh, Czechoslovak film industry uh, right in uh, 1990-91. Uh, she was one of those who was um, used to make films within the uh, state monopolized film industry so there was very demanding for her uh, to find her own way in the in the new conditions however she managed you know but she was not uh, she was not fighting only for herself she really had uh, the whole film culture uh, film tradition and uh, also the kind of future energy of the film industry in Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic in her mind that said, she was the first to adapt to the commercial system, and she made the film The Inheritance, based on a screenplay by Bolislav Polifka. But it was not an experimental movie, which was what most people expected her to make, but a standard comedy. This led to great disappointment, and all the critics reacted very negatively, although the film had a great response from audiences. I think her post-89 films are just undervalued in a sense of they are constantly measured against these gems of experimental cinema like Daisies and and, uh, The Fruit of Paradise. To be honest, I think um, Inheritance is my most favorite movie she ever made. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It was criticized horrendously. You know, everybody expected some great moral comments from from Hitilova and all of a sudden she made a comedy. She made a comedy about a guy who inherits money and uh, goes, you know, lives lavishly in the village and is a total village idiot and uh, loses the money and then he gains the money again. But when you look at the film today, 25 years after the production, it's it's fascinating how she was able to really uh, touch upon the most sensitive uh, issues in the society. And uh, in the genre of comedy, she was able to uh, offer a... Uh, uh, testimony about the the transformation of the Czech society. We're criticizing post-totalitarian or post-communist society and people, post-communist people who are absolutely incapable of living in uh, the newly gained freedom. She felt that movie can cause change or can influence people and can change, can do something good in society. But as well as being an important moral figure and filmmaker, Hitilova was also known for sometimes being very difficult to work with. Michal Bregant first met Hitilova whilst working as an assistant at the Czech National Film Archives at the end of the 1980s, when she was working on a documentary about the first president of Czechoslovakia. Hitler at that time she was uh, legendary for being, uh, as everybody would say, hysterical. Uh, I have to say it's uh, not true by any means. She was just demanding. She wanted everyone to be inventive, to be creative. 
How can I describe it? She was so absorbed in the work that other things did not exist for her. And she demanded the same from others. She didn't even realize that someone else might not approach things in the same way. So sometimes she would, uh, you know, let us wait for her like for two hours in cold weather, but she was not a prima donna. She was always working for the for the audience, for the public. So she wanted uh, the film to be um, uh, the best possible result. We have to realize that she was the only woman of the Czechoslovak New Wave. Uh, there was Daromira Vyhanová who was working in parallel. And she worked within a um, man-controlled, man-operated uh, film industry. So um, maybe her you know, role of rebellious, harsh, tough woman, provocateur, also stemmed from this necessity to actually survive something that uh, was pretty tough as an environment. Hitulova continued making thought-provoking films into her late 70s. She died in March 2014 at the age of 85, but not before leaving her mark on a new generation of young filmmakers at FAMU, her old school. At the beginning, uh, when she started teaching for FAMU, she was uh, considered very, very uh, tough uh, professor. And uh, she was always very straightforward. So she was able to tell all kinds of uncomfortable truths uh, and ideas to, to her students. But later on, she was more and more a uh, loving grandmother, uh, not only in her family, but also to her students. So there was an interesting kind of change uh, in the last years of her life. This episode of Stories from the East and West was brought to you by Culture PL, the flagship brand of the Adam Mickiewicz Institute. It was hosted by Adam Zawawski and me, Nitzan Reisner. It was reported and written by Piotr Fowoczko and edited and scored by Wojciech Elekshak. Piotr would like to thank Teresa Kucherova and Anička Hanakova, Professor Jan Bernard, Dr. Jędrzejska Blachowa, Dr. Michal Bregant and Jakub Felsman for taking the time to talk to him. He'd also like to thank me for trying to repeat that line with all their names, over 30 times. And if you want to learn anything else about Hitilova and her films, the show notes have lots of links for you and can be found in your podcast app or on Stories from the Eastern West website at sftew.com. See you next month. Bye.